Hey everybody, um, I just wanted to remind you all that there is an upcoming show at the Bell House, New York, on January 19th, uh, which is not this Friday, but next Friday. Uh, doors open at 7, and the show starts at 7.30. Tickets are still on sale. They are $10. Uh, you can find them at uh, the Bell House's website, and the Bell House is on Twitter, at the Bell House NY. Uh, it'll be with Virgil Texas and Matt Chrisman of Chapel Trap House, and we will be doing a video game debate. So definitely come out for that. Um, check us out on Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash Hagelbond for more episodes and things like that, and um, paypal.me backslash Hagelbond and at no cartridge. Uh, and without further ado, the rest of the Heggies. apologize for that. Uh, I hope you guys were able to catch up on some of your favorite no cartridges during the break. But uh, before we got back into regular episodes, I wanted to round out the Heggies a little bit by talking about the four games um, that are on my uh, best of, which is to say the best of that I played list uh, for the year, but I haven't talked about yet. So uh, without further ado, let's just get into them. The first one's not going to surprise anyone, so I'll, I'll lead off with it. It's um, Dishonored Death of the Outsider. So if you didn't see it on my Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv backslash Hagelbond, you can see uh, I streamed the last of the level with uh, Hazel Monforton, who is a friend of the show and also a writer on the game itself. Um, we talked a lot about it, and it's really clear when she talks about it, uh, the game itself, how much care and uh, time goes into really working through this game. It, it's it's not just a game that is like interesting uh, mechanically, because of course it is. Uh, Arcane makes wonderful games. We'll actually talk about another one that they had uh, this year. It was a big year for Arcane, and of course those games, uh, Arcane's games, always have a really interesting uh, mechanical style. There's things to discover. There's things to uncover. There's all sorts of paths to take. It's it's basically like a multimodal game, but one that also doesn't demand that you uh, make decisions necessarily. I mean, you of course have to make certain decisions, but it's much more about exploring the space you're in, uh, getting to the same place you know, four different ways. Uh, as we talked about in the episode on Prey with John Bernhardt, I think that was 29. Um, you can get into doors in two ways with uh, in Prey. You can uh, hack them, get small, sneak in, whatever. Or you can hit the inside of the uh, door with a little blow dart, right? Uh, in a weapon that just seems completely useless. So, um, sorry, I just totally gave away what the next game was going to be. Uh, but that's okay, we'll cover it next. We'll cover Prey next. Uh, but Death of the Outsider is no different, right? There's a million powers you get. 
a million little gadgets, and you can solve most of the puzzles in the game in a ton of different ways. Uh, what I found actually doing the last level with Hazel was um, you could be extremely violent in Death of the Outsider and it doesn't really change all that much. Uh, you know, I went through the game fairly peacefully and then I kept screwing up and I was streaming, so I kind of just pushed through. Um, and it's fine. You could totally be violent and get through it. Um, it really is a game that encourages you to approach it in many different ways. It has a lot of replayability for that matter. Uh, so mechanically, it's super fun. But the writing is really what, for me, takes it to the next level. And it's part because, you know, it's just really cool to have such a talented friend like Hazel on the on the project. But what um, really sort of shocked me uh, while playing Dishonored was the level of depth put into the world surrounding it. Obviously, Dishonored and Dishonored 2 help with this quite a bit. But the Outsider really digs into uh, that world even more, bringing back elements of it. I never played Dishonored 2, but I still felt <clears throat> as if there was some like fan service for people who enjoyed the Dishonored world, even just through Dishonored 1. Uh, even the whales coming back in the last moments of, uh, you know, finding the outsider in um, in the other world. Like, the 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 notes, the, the, the ways in which the game kind of completes its world it makes for this autonomous and and i don't mean that in the sort of like aesthetic way but it's an autonomous world that sort of like runs by its own rules and has a consistency to it there's there's no there's no brushed over corners um obviously there are things that are missing you can't cover every single thing in an entire world but in as much as any question is asked in the world of karnaka um, or anywhere in Dishonored, a lot, a lot of it's in Karnaka, but not all of it. Um, in so much as any question is asked, it's answered via some note, via something you can read, and it's optional how much you learn. Um, but everything is tonally similar. Everything has this sense of ambiguity and uh, depressiveness, but not. It's melancholy, but not depressiveness. Let me say that. It's not like you're playing the game and feeling sad. You're playing the game and feeling a kind of melancholy. And it hits these notes so well, so consistently throughout the entire game. It's just a really, really smart game. Um, and the fact that it's mechanically sound with a smart uh, storyline and such a, a well-designed world, it just is, uh, I mean, it hits on all cylinders. For me, probably that and Night in the Woods are my games of the year. Um, if I had to pick two, but I don't, I can just say as many as I want. So all of these are my games of the year, including ones I guess I haven't played yet. Um, but moving on to a game I have played all of, Prey. Uh, Arcane's other release this year is just also similarly fantastic uh, as is um, Death of the Outsider. Now, what makes Prey kind of special is that it is at once this... Um, I guess like a spaceship sci-fi kind of thing um, in, in the way you'd expect, right? It, it sort of like, it tells you exactly what it's going to be, which is this uh, this creature takes over the ship and you have to try and uh, save the ship or scuttle it, right? Uh, and, and you're told, well, you got to scuttle the ship, I'm sorry, uh, to save Earth. And it goes through the whole game, and I won't give away spoilers, but it, it has some twists and turns and changes. As uh, John Bernhardt said when he was on the show, it really is a game about the trolley problem, about the question of you know a trolley's going down the track do you uh let the trolley go forward and kill five people tied to the track or do you pull a lever changing the direction of the trolley and uh then it just kills one person um the you know it's basically the distinction between killing and letting letting die um 
what's the ethical decision? So, you know, Prey is all about that, but in a way that is not as didactic or repetitive as that might imply. There are just several moments where you get to make that decision again and again, and you can make different decisions the whole time through. It's really like the question is posed fresh to you every time. And not only that, but your character is given the opportunity to make decisions about their body, decisions about what powers they'll have, decisions about what ways they will, you know, focus on you know, defeating the, the Tachyon, uh, uh, I think the Tachyon, I forget. Um, it's been so long. Uh, the, 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 the sort of alien, alien race, alien, alien race, uh, involved and, uh, and messing with your, your space, uh, station. There's all sorts of ways to approach the game. You can play it very lethally. You can play it very non-lethally towards like the people who are infected. It ultimately you have to, you can't play it like a stealth game, like Dishonored. Uh, but it gives you just enough rope that you can decide your play style while also being completely at the whim of the situation such as it is. Furthermore, what I really like about it, and I'm stealing again from John's episode, which you really should go listen to, um, the game is a spiritual successor to the uh, the System Shock games, uh, particularly System Shock 2, although Bioshock as well. Um, and playing System Shock 2 after I played Prey it's, it's like playing a sort of like early version of Prey. You can go around and kind of like, you can notch things in and say, oh, look, it's the it's the cabin. Or, oh, look, like I remember someone saying something like this. Or, oh, look, here's someone who was like uh, mad with power. I like someone is in Prey. And then you get to Prey and it's like they've kind of taken everything and upped the graphics. Um, but graphics in this case, meaning not just the perception of solid uh, visual graphics, but also this this sense of um, cohesion and weight and scope as well. It's like um, they've taken all of the stakes of System Shock 2 and not only raised them, but clarified them while giving you a sort of hero protagonist, faceless protagonist kind of a character that is far more compelling and complex than your character in System Shock 2, while also allowing you to kind of like inhabit them uh, in terms of their morality, which is of course what the game wants you to do. So it's just this fascinating game. It is in a lot of ways like an alien hunt um, and, a, and a sort of like a, a standard open world game in that way. But the ways in which it forces you into its own situation, the ways in which it gives you an open space station to play with and the ways in which it forces you to make difficult choices in really different ways. I, I think there's like something very unique about Prey and it speaks to the arcane formula. It speaks to sort of what's going on with their writing staffs. It's just, as I said with Death of the Outsider, it is matched with its mechanics and its uh, writing. I think Death of the Outsider is slightly sharper writing, but it's also a much shorter game. And my penchant for shorter, uh, tightly written things is, uh, is well known. Uh, not that I can produce them, but I like them when other people produce them. Uh, but I love to pray. It is absolutely a must buy. It's usually on sale now. So just, you know, whenever you can see it on sale or whenever you can get it at full price, it is worth your money and worth your time. It is a very good game. Um, atmospheric, interesting, compelling, uh, just really, really smart. Better than Bioshock uh, in my for my uh, estimation as a successor to System Shock 2. I would say it and System Shock 2 are really the two games in that genre of like RPG shooter. I haven't played Deus Ex yet that, um, <laughs> that stand out to me. So, uh, Pache, Pache C CJ, who was on the show before, I'm sure Deus Ex will stand out as well. Um, 
after those two are, are two that are actually unrelated, which is great because, of course, Death of the Outsider and Prey are very, very similar. Um, <clears throat> but I've talked about one on the show already, so I'll, I'll, I'll go with that one and end with the one I haven't really talked about that much on the show but plan to write about a little bit in the future. Um, Cuphead was one of my other games of the year. Now, I bought Cuphead at the same time as I bought Runer, um, which I don't have anything against Runer. I, I think, you know, Devolver Digital's game was really interesting. It played a little more like a mobile game than a computer game. I've talked about it on the Patreon. Um, it didn't make it into my games of the year. It wasn't uh, as enjoyable as uh, as other games. And I think part of the reason um, is because it just it felt like a difficult sort of platformer that didn't stand up to Cuphead, which I got at the same time, because, and and that's not fair to Ruiner in a certain way, but I'm not talking about Ruiner right now, I'm talking about Cuphead, which is just this brilliant little, um, I think, it's a brilliant little platformer, it is almost like a boss machine, you, you play, you know, there are a couple of running gun, like, platform levels, but you play mostly to beat the bosses, and every boss is designed in this gorgeous way i mean they're beautifully drawn the whole thing is is wonderfully designed but every boss is designed in such a way that yes the game is hard but it's hard in the way that like several really good hard games are where every time you die you actually learn something about why you died Every time you get a little further, you can adjust the way you're playing. You know, maybe you get to the second phase of the boss and die. Well, okay, now you know what the second phase looks like and you can keep playing towards that. It can be frustrating. It can be painfully difficult. But what it clearly is, is well thought out and crafted. And this is a theme in my games of the year, right? Like where, like, any sort of Heggy seems to be a game that is deeply thought out and deeply well crafted. And I will forgive a lot of mechanical sins for that. Uh, in Cuphead, though, I don't actually have to forgive any mechanical sins. It is designed super well. The plot is, you know, basic or whatever, but the music's really interesting. Um, the the animation is beautiful. The bosses are compelling and difficult. And the level of difficulty is this wonderful little curve where you hit a wall, but in hitting the wall, you kind of can just, like, slowly push through it. I don't think Cuphead is unbeatable by anyone. I think people, if they are familiar with video games at all, um, even a little bit, can beat Cuphead. It might just take some time, and the time that it takes, the learning curve, the fact that you're learning how to do these things, makes it less a kind of, um, it makes it less the sort of like speeder bike level in Battletoads where like you needed to memorize that thing. and like it was just a level it was just a sense of muscle memory uh as opposed to something like well like dark souls which it gets a lot of comparison to i don't think it's very similar to dark souls but i think this part is similar where the difficulty is about learning how the game works um if you can learn how the game works if you can figure that part of it out you may absolutely beat it and like it won't be that difficult it is just a a lovely little game that is i don't know it's perfectly balanced it is about a 10 hour game it is 100% one of the most fun ways to spend 10 hours. It is frustrating at times, it is difficult, it can be hard, but it is really, really good and and just like kind of a perfectly done platformer in an era that does not have so many perfectly done platformers. All right, finally, the game I want to talk about a lot, and I haven't written about this game enough because there's so much to write about, but uh, it's it's Nier Automata. Now, um, Near, I've mentioned it on the show a couple times. I have a couple of articles on, but I really want to write about it with the uh, the the wonderful game Hatful Boyfriend, um, in in as sort of like two versions of the apocalyptic text. 
But this is about Nier, which is at its core this really beautiful story about it's basically a Rashomon, uh, but done by way of I'm trying to think of it. It's, it's basically a Rashomon story. I don't know any different. Actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, you get to play the game through your first character, your first time through. Then you get to replay the game through your second character. Then you get to replay the game again through another character, then again. And it's like there are five canonical endings and 26 endings in all, but most of them are kind of like throwaway jokes. And the the ability to kind of like beat the game with all the characters, the ability to kind of unpack the story by way of those characters is just this really interesting way to have the story told to you where you actually get like little bits and pieces um, that are revealed simply through a change in perspective. Um, not only that, but every, and, and I talked about this a little bit with Chris Person when he was on the show, every quest in the game is tailor-made to be about some sort of like element of the game's theme. So any, even any fetch quest you play, any sort of quest you have is something that adds to the game, uh, game's themes of like, what is humanity? What is, uh, what is a robot? What is, what does it count to be an automaton? Uh, what are you know, what are wars about? What are proxy wars about? Um, you know, what, what is empathy? How much empathy do we owe to machines? Things like that. Every subquest, every you know, silly fetch quest, even the even the quests that give you stories about your weapons, all of these things reveal something about the world that Nier is in. Um, and and more pointedly, because that's of course true in, in Death of the Outsider and Prey as well, but more pointedly, they reveal something about the story that Nier is trying to tell. So Nier is basically an RPG, but one that cares so much about the transmission of its story that it is baked into every element of the game. Now Yes, some parts of the game, I, I think in some ways the narrative is not revolutionary. I think it's super interesting and I think it's extremely compelling. I have to finish the last ending yet. Um, but it's not, I, I, it, I think some, in some ways the, the totality of the story, like the fact that every element of the game is suffused with story, makes it seem a little more important as a narrative than maybe it is. That said, I think it is one of the most well-constructed and well knitted narratives I've ever seen in a game. I think it is absolutely concerned and focused on and executes this one level of like, here's the quest. The quest is we're going to talk about robots. We're going to talk about humans and we're going to really have a, a discursus on humanity. It does that. It goes to the hilt in doing that. And in doing that, it, absolutely produces something worth playing and worth enjoying not to mention it's a platinum game so the mechanics are fun uh the fighting is great uh, it plays around with that a lot there are top-down shooters shoot em up sort of elements there are standard action rpg elements there are there's a giant a giant monster ba a kaiju battle element it is a fun game and it is a smart game and it is just if you like rpgs it is one of the most complete rpgs i've ever played um, it reminds me of what I thought Xenogears was when I was in eighth grade. Now, Xenogears is still really good, uh, but it's not quite as smart as I thought it was then. Near is about as smart as I thought Xenogears was in eighth grade. It's it's a legitimately smart game. It probably isn't like, you know, in terms of narrative, it's not, it's not like a new novel necessarily. You know, don't go into it thinking that you're going to hit a hit on brilliance because you might be disappointed. But it is just this lovely and careful approach to storytelling that 
really pays off. It's just one of my absolute favorite games of the year. Okay, so those are all my games of the year. Uh, and I feel this time I need to give the Heggy to a game or a series of games that we will call the hindsight games. Um, these are games from 2016 that I haven't played yet. 2016, 2017, oh boy, that I haven't played yet. But I will be playing in the upcoming year and I am looking forward to and I feel that they will probably have some impact on my list of Heggies uh, moving forward, whether or not we'll cover it on the show or not. But I wanted to give these awards, uh, you know, in preparation for playing them. So I have my PlayStation 4 now, which means I am very excited to play Final Fantasy 15, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Yakuza 0, and Persona 5. Um, I'm very much looking forward to playing Hollow Knight, which everyone assures me is uh, possibly the best Metroidvania of the year. I will let you know if it's better than Dead Cells, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Um, Wolfenstein 2 is something I'm looking forward to finally getting to. Um, you know, go listen to the episode with Jack Smith if you want to hear how exciting that game sounds. Um, there was another one. Oh, and of course, uh, Breath of the Wild and, uh, and Mario Odyssey. At some point, I will be getting to those as well. 2017 was truly, for a year that I finally sort of broke back into gaming seriously, It is. it has been a year that is kind of unfathomably rich. Uh, I hope I've done, uh, to your uh, estimation, a good amount of uh, of gaming in this year, enough to sort of wet your whistle for my critical approach. I hope to do even more in the future. Uh, hopefully 2018 is a big year for all of us and a big year for No Cartridge, and I hope you'll uh, follow along with me while it happens. So thanks, everyone, for uh, listening into this year's Heggies, and I will see you on Monday with a brand new episode. Thanks. Thanks.